Welcome to C-Suite Radio. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast. Today, we have on the show comedian and roast battle legend Earl Skakel. He hung out with us the other day, and we talked about his cartoon, The Jellies, which is available now on Adult Swim. If you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. He's pretty much the only white guy on the entire show, and he tells his story of how this came about for him. He talks about his history with the comedy store and just being a comedian in general. He's a player's coach, in my opinion, a comedian's comedian and this was a fun interview he is just super talented please enjoy this as much as i did my interview with earl skakel you're listening to the brett allen show a pop culture podcast have you subscribed to this show yet i've tried bribes i've tried gifts you should it's absolutely free i even sent him some pet oxen now back to the show with your host brett allen idly hey Welcome to another episode of The Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished. A pop culture podcast. Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, I'm back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Earl, welcome into the podcast. It's great to have you here today with us. Oh, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. I, I find you as a comedian and a writer extremely fascinating because of your involvement in the industry. You've kind of done a lot of different things. You are part of the comedy store. You were on I'm Dying Up Here, which was a fantastic show. I guess let's just start with that. That was a great show and sad that it didn't get picked up or I don't know what happened with shows like that. They just kind of come and then they do well and then we don't get much more of it. But let's talk about that and sort of your involvement with that show and uh, how that started for you. And and for people who might not know what the show was about, how it started was uh, the producer, one of the producers, there were so many people working on that show. It's kind of, there wasn't just one of anything, you know, there's like eight camera guys, four boom guys, you know, six casting directors uh one of the producers saw me at uh, roast battle okay which is uh the weekly show still going on at the uh, comedy store in the belly room and uh that was before i started battling i played i guess you'd call it like an archie bunker type character heckler of roast battle so when a battle wouldn't go well which was quite often believe me uh i would <laughs> stay aligned to get the room back and uh the producer i guess said to one of my friends who's that crazy guy in the corner he's great and uh, i didn't even have to audition for i'm dying up here he just called me in and it's like you know we have this role for you it's it's a bitter late night comic all he does is the same set he talks about his ex-wife leaving him and uh i know so many comics like that i'm like oh yeah that I won't even have to act. <laughs> You're like, that. that's like five of my closest friends. Well, there's so many comics, especially late night comics. And, you know, if you're if you're a comedy fan or comedy club fan, uh, the late night bitter comic is one of the more essential parts of any comedy club. You know, there's just that guy or it could be a girl, but usually it's a guy who has just been around forever. All his friends are getting 
more successful than he is. And he's just angry and bitter. And he just does the same set, doesn't write new jokes. So I'm like, yeah, that won't be a problem for me. And uh, so I, that's how I got the part. And uh, I think I was in about 11 of the 20 episodes. And uh, it, it was it was sad when it didn't get brought back, but not unexpected because the ratings were never good. I think most people on the show were very surprised it was brought back a second season. So, uh, and it's still, I look back and, you know, and I've said this before in other interviews, most of my, most of the complaints about the show from my friends were two things. Uh, one, it's on Showtime and I, it, it's hard to find. And it's like, uh, everyone can get Showtime. Like it's, it's not like it's channel J in New York where, you know, you have to look for it. It's showtime. Uh, and two, it wasn't funny. And I was like, well, it's not a sitcom, uh, stand up a very uh, sad business just this year alone. I've lost three comics who died. You know, it just never, for, for whatever reason, it, it never grabbed the ratings and, and I'll never understand why. Cause I mean, Melissa Leo, she won an Oscar. So she's legit. And then, you know, all the actors who were playing comics are all top, top working actors like Clark Duke and uh, Jake Lacey and Michael Argano. And, and then all the comics who were, I guess, actors on the show, like Santino and Eric Griffin, Al Madrigal. They're all great comics. And, uh, and the guest stars were like uh, Alfred Molina, you know, Rick Overton, who, if you are a comedy fan, he's a legend in the business. Like he played the booker of the tonight show, but he's like a God to me. So it was just like, how is this show not doing better? It was based on the comedy store, which I think might've also confused people because, you know, like you had Richard Pryor at the uh, end of, I think season two, uh, he he was just Richard Pryor. But then I think people would look at, say, Santino and go, well, is he playing Bill Hicks or is he David Letterman or is it just a combo? You know, a lot of people in I, I was barely in the show, but in it enough to say I was in it. People would ask me, are you Richard Lewis? Like, like you're kind of bitter. <laughs> and, you know, are you Robert Schimmel? Because, you, you know, in the few stand up uh, clips that you saw of me, I was very Robert Schimmel-esque. It just kind of bitter and whatnot uh you know was al madrigal playing freddie prince or was he just a kind of a hodgepodge of different hispanic comics uh so i, I think uh you know that was also part of the problem but i'm i'll guess and nobody's told me this but i'll guess that certain people didn't want to be portrayed uh, you know so you couldn't you know you couldn't say this is comic x because comic x didn't want to be on the show. I mean, I think everyone in the comedy world knew that this was going to be a dark portrayal of certain people, you know, like even Dylan Baker, who's like a legendary, uh, I guess you'd call him a character actor who played Johnny Carson. It wasn't the most flattering portrayal of Johnny Carson. Like, it was kind of, <laughs> oh, he's a dick. But that's how, how Carson was. If you hear like stories about him, he could be really prickly to you. Uh, and, you know, they also, I've had friends of mine who did David Letterman, and they, they kind of said he was very similar. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just never understand uh, how the TV business works. I mean, we, I will give Showtime this. They did seem to try a little bit of everything to get the show going like that. I think the first season we were on after Twin, it was either after, I think after Twin Peaks. Yeah. And then I think season two, we were after Ray Donovan. 
uh, which is, <laughs> you know, so it seemed like they tried to get us going, but still this, I'm puzzled still. Yeah. It's very interesting how television works, like, especially now with all the content that's available, like it seems almost anybody can get a show up on a network somewhere and then we get excited about it and then it doesn't last for very long, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was great for me as somebody who is a fan of comedy and enjoys understanding comedy history and really all that goes into it. That's why I love talking to comedians and writers because I find the work that you do extremely fascinating because it's not something that I'm familiar with other than just either talking to folks like yourself or watching it from an outside perspective. I have to be honest, a lot of people that I talk to don't always email things that they're okay talking about or they want to talk about. I do want to talk about the roast battle because that's one of the things out of all of it that I find to be the most curious is the roast, the roast battle and how that whole thing's whole thing works. I would agree with you. I kind of feel that you were unfairly judged or whatever you want to describe it. Well, I think people like when I talk about it, cause I'm honest, you know, very yeah. rarely will someone do a television show that was pretty successful. Uh, and like I said, the weekly show is still going on. I don't know who the hell roast battles in 2021, but <laughs> that ain't my problem. Uh, but it was fascinating to see how a, a television network buys a show in my opinion, ruins it. Uh, it was educational. Like like I said on I'm Dying Up Here, I wasn't really in it enough to give an opinion on, hey, you guys should do this. But um, with Roast Battle, I was there from day, literally day one. So it was fascinating to see two open mic comics, or let me rephrase that, two newer comics, because I hate saying open mic comic because it's very dismissive. Uh, but two newer comics, and they were about to get into a fight. And Brian Moses said, now keep in mind, this is uh, seven, maybe eight years ago. So sure. it's not an exact quote. He was like, hey, you guys can't fight. Why don't you slap each other? Which in the hood is what they call Basically, roasting in the hood is called slapping. You know, So it's basically roast each other. And uh, it was so fun to watch. And there was only like five people in the room. Because Moses had taken over an open mic was horrible. And because this is right before the comedy store started popping again. So it was pretty empty on a Tuesday night specifically. So the next week, Moses starts the open mic and no one wanted to do stand up. They wanted to roast each other. They're like, hey, can we do that? Next week, same thing. And there's maybe 10 people in the room now. And then I think the fourth week, he couldn't find anyone to roast. So he said to me, hey, do you want to roast Boone Shakalaka? For those of you unfamiliar with the comedy store, Boone Shakalaka is a homeless man who just hangs out there. And he's kind of funny. He steals things and sells them to the comics for a dollar. Yeah, um, I've you heard about good, this guy. <laughs> he's legendary. Like, and, and I can't do him enough justice. Uh, you just have to meet him to go... If you ever go to the comedy store and he's there, you will go, that's Boone Chocolata. You won't even need an introduction. You'll be like, that's the guy you're always talking about. Uh, <laughs> so I roasted him. Or we roast back. And it's not as easy to beat as you would think. Like, you, you can't roast crazy. Um, you know, this is a guy who um, has a hard life. And he's done things on a nightly basis that hopefully most humans don't have to do to get a meal or a place to stay. Roast. 
thing to him is nothing. Um, and then, you know, the next week it was the same thing. And, and then little by little, the belly room on Tuesday nights became the epicenter of LA comedy, uh, for about a year and a half to two years. It was just the little show that could people were lining up to battle. I mean, we would have as many as 10 battles in one night. So, so 20 comics. Um, and I was the heckler, uh, sidekick to Moses, um, and, and then Jeff Ross got involved and, uh, uh, he made it a bigger show for sure. I mean, he, he got it on TV, but I, I think once the network, and it's crazy to say this cause it, it, he got it to TV and, and, and comedy central, like got it to the Montreal comedy festival. And, uh, but it, it just, uh, it's kind of like when a band, their first album is usually their best album. And then the bigger they get, the lazier they get. And it's just not the same. It, it was kind of like that. It, you know, it, it was just uh, someone, either Jeff or the network, or probably both had it in their heads. We need celebrities to do this. And it's like, no, you don't. You need two people who are good at it. And that sells the show. It's, it's kind of like, that's why Yo Mama lasted for, I think, like nine or ten seasons. Because they didn't have any celebrities. They just had two usually younger kids who were good at the craft of, you know, Yo Mama. And, and then the same with Roast Battle, which is much more uh, evolved than Yo Mama. Cause you have to research your opponent and come up with three or four crafted jokes on them specifically. Uh, whereas Yo Mama, you could kind of cheat and just do a generic, well, Yo Mama, uh, you know, celebrities just aren't good at it. They're not going to take the time to research, you know, like Ralphie May, who was a dear friend. I love Ralphie. Uh, he was an amazing, amazing man. He did not research Mike Lawrence, and that was very clear. <laughs> like Mike, yeah, that him. was kind of Just uncomfortable Mike. to a point for me as a viewer. Oh, I'm telling you right now, I've done comedy for uh, I've been, I've done comedy for so long. I don't remember how long I've done it. Like I'll say 22 years, and I remember because that was the second night of battles. My I had already battled, so I I, I got to watch, which was great. To just go there in a packed room and watch. I've never felt more uncomfortable in my life. Like after the first joke of Ralphie's was a street joke. I think he said something to the effect of Mike, your breath is so bad. It makes onions cry. That's a joke I've heard in third grade, like, like literally the same joke. Like, <laughs> and that's part of like the unwritten rules of roast battle is no street jokes, no, yo mama jokes, unless you actually have a joke about the person's mom. <laughs> um, which some people did, um, you, you know, so I am sure in someone's head, it was like, well, Ralphie Mays, a big comic. He's got all these specials on TV. He's on, he's on the Jay Moore show. Like people tune in to watch him. And like, it didn't work out that way, you know? And it, it just like the last, uh, I was on season one, but like, you know, season three, you had Blake Griffin. Like he's a funny guy. Like there's no doubt he's funny for someone who's never done the, the skill set of comedy or roasting, but like, most people will tell you he beat Jeff Ross, uh, but they gave it some hogwash tie. And it's like, the show's done. Like, you literally just had an NBA player who's never done it before. Most people will tell you off the record, beat the guy whose name is on the show. Like, yeah. so it's like, how, how can he judge another battle when he just lost to a guy who's never done it before? Uh, so, you know, once you started getting like celebrities involved, like I love Todd Berry, like he's a comedy legend, probably one of the highlights of my life. My comedy life is, uh, and probably my life is, uh, getting to do his crowd work show at, uh, Cluster Fest, which is a huge comedy festival. 
So I love him. Comedy Central was like, well, let's get Comedy Central comics who have specials coming out or who are working with us. It's like, no, that's going to ruin the show. Like, Just have the L.A. comics and, and a few in New York who are maybe unknowns, have them on it because they're good. And, and you won't need the extra selling point of, well, this guy may suck, but he's a celebrity. It was just fascinating to see a, a show go, you know, through many hands and, and, you know, it was, you know, kind of, uh, I have my own uh, personal, uh, some may call it vendetta against <laughs> certain people, but, you know, I wasn't treated well on the show and that hurt probably to this day. Cause I was one of the, I didn't create the show. Brian Moses did, but I was, I helped create what it became. Like, so it was kind of like, why am I being like, I was given the toughest battles, you know, like in sure. my season, I was given Tom Ballard and Jimmy Carr and Sarah Tiana and Kay Trevor Wilson, while other people were getting people who'd never battled before. I'm like, well, how, why don't I get one of those battles just to, you know, keep me on the show or like, you know, or I don't mind having all the toughest battles, but I want to make sure everyone else has them too. Like, so, uh, you know, it was just, uh, as I tell people jokingly, but not cold business. <laughs> and uh, I think, uh, so I left with a bitter taste in my mouth in, in that regard to the show. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, it is a very tough and bitter business. Like it's very competitive. You know, the fact that you even said, you know, I don't like to call them open mic comics because it is kind of dismissive, but it really is like when I hear it, it kind of already in my head makes me go, huh, you know, is this somebody that I would want to pay to see? Of course I would just because I love comedy. I find the business that you're in very competitive. You've been doing it for over 20 plus years, probably more, I'm sure. Then like, it seems like LA's the hot spot, New York's the hot spot. But when you got started, Earl, in this business, what was kind of your path to success as far as becoming known and did you work the crazy rooms? Did you work all the wild places? Like what? I'm familiar with part of it, but I'm also just curious, like your journey compared to, say, somebody else's journey today that, I mean, it's markedly different, but what your process was to get where you were. Well, I mean, I, I'm from L.A., so, uh, you know, I'm I'm far from a naive person. Like I, I grew up playing golf at my father's country club. And there's a point to this that has nothing to do with comedy, but it kind of does. And the people I were around at this country club were uh, billionaires, uh, card sharks. I think there was a pimp, uh, pool hustlers. <laughs> um, they had a uh, room at Bel Air Country Club, and they, they might still have it called the card room. And to grow up in that room and to see the gambling and the just shenanigans, it was very uh, preparatory for my stand-up career, like, uh, looking back at the predators that were in that room in terms, I don't mean sexual, but like, uh, you know, just anything to make a buck off your friend. Uh, sure. so I went into comedy very, almost at a good starting point of there's going to be a lot of con artists and hustlers, just be aware. Uh, and my original game plan was just outwork everyone, you know, and, and, and you'll make it. Of course, everyone is a different what making it is to me might not be what it is to you and, and, and so on. Uh, probably found that about seven or eight years in. And, and when I say I outworked everyone, like first three to four years in comedy, I would go up seven nights a week, 
three times a night. Uh, so I was going on average 20 to 25 times uh, a week. And even on a night where I like, say I would go to a Kiss concert in Irvine, which is in Orange County, uh, for those of you not uh, in LA, uh, I would leave the concert early, go to Ontario, which is further into Orange County, do an open mic there, and then drive like a wild man to Van Nuys, which is the complete opposite end of, of LA. <laughs> yeah. Go go to a bar show, like so. I was no one outworked me, but I I wish I would have worked a little smarter, maybe networked a little better, because that's what this business has become. You know, uh, you know, you see it uh, without mentioning names. The, the the comics you see most on TV aren't necessarily the funniest. That there are people who've networked their way into a good manager, good agent, buddied up to the the local bookers, uh, comedy club owners. And uh, like, I was just like, well, I just want to be funnier than everyone. And I'm not, I'm not, but like that, that's what I want to be. Um, and it just, comedy doesn't work like that. So, uh, probably about, let me see about 2009, I started opening for Rob Schneider and, uh, traveled the world with him. I mean, and by world, I mean, Canada and the U S and, uh, that kind of opened my eyes up to the, some of the good things in the business, you know, sold out crowds every night. And I knew they weren't there to see me, uh, but still I got to be a part of it. I mean, even my girlfriend at the time would go to see Rob. Um, so, and then about 2014, and th this is where a little bit of luck comes in about 2011, I did the Tempe improv and the manager, uh, was a guy by the name of Adam Egot, who, uh, podcast fans know as Norm McDonald's sidekick, uh, but he was managing the Tempe Improv. And just by fate, around 2013, he became, I think he was the manager of the comedy store. And then when a certain individual was fired at the comedy store for, uh, let's just say their interesting accounting methods, um, <laughs> uh, Adam became the new booker. And I was the first person along with Candace Thompson, he passed. So that's when my career, I won't say took off, but got a lot better just because, you know, every night at the comedy store, you're going up in front of somebody that, you know, they might be, uh, you know, Metallica's manager. So maybe you could open for them on the road, although I suspect that would be a tough gig uh, or some booker of a TV show. And, and then and then Roast Battle was really coming into its own. So I got passed and Roast Battle started taking off at the same time. So, but that's 13 years in. So it was not, you know, an open overnight success, but it, I would say 2016, I was on four different networks, four different shows. So I went from nothing, literally no TV credits to four in a couple months. It's safe to say hard work is what really pays off and making that mental choice to be the hardest worker in the room, especially in a business that's as competitive as yours, comedy, television, everybody's vying for that spot to be known. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I would almost correct myself and say smart work pays off, uh, you know, and it's, it's like the old Tony Robbins analogy of the fly trying to get out of the class, just hitting the same spot over and over and over again. That was me the first 13 years. I was outworking everyone, but you know, like there were times when, like Whitney Cummings and I would do this outdoor 
uh, open mic on Friday and Saturday nights in uh, Studio City. And uh, she would always ask me uh, after our sets, hey, let's go somewhere and write. And, and I'd be like, ah, I, I didn't tell her this, but I'm, I'm going to go look for some girls, man. You go home and write. I'm going to go get laid. But so looking back, I wish I would have gone to the coffee shop with her and written because I, I probably would have been in her posse. Uh, so, uh, I would, if I, if any young comics are listening to this, it's work smart, not necessarily harder. Well, one last question here, as we kind of wrap this up, I want to talk about your podcast. Well, there's your animated series, the jellies, which is great. If you haven't seen that people need to do that because you're a part of that show. If we could talk about that and your podcast inappropriate Earl, you've had some amazingly fascinating people on your podcast. And uh, I've been a fast fan since for a long time. And uh, let's talk about how those two projects uh, came about for you. Well, you know, I, I talk about, you know, some of the bad things on Roast Battle, but, you know, the jellies is one of the good things. Uh, I think, uh, and, it, you know, people don't uh, understand that first year and a half of Roast Battle was so insane that uh, it, it had a very like, eight mile fight club type of energy to it. So you get some weird celebrities who just, and this is before Jeff got involved, but uh, one night uh, Gerard Carmichael brought in Tyler, the creator who I had never known before. You know, I'm a metal head, you know, Metallica rat poison, all that stuff. So I'm doing my uh, Archie bunker character. And I just start picking on Tyler, the creator, just thinking he's some young black kid in the crowd. So I see, uh, I go in the parking lot after the show and and I had gone, I had probably crossed the line that night with some <laughs> things I said, to be honest. And I saw him talking to Gerard and I'm like, oh, if he's friends with Carmichael, maybe I should apologize to him. So I walk up to their posse. And of course, it's all blacks. And uh, so they all turn around and look at me like, what's this? They didn't say this, but they're like, I could see it in their eyes. They're like, what's this white guy want? So I went up to Tyler, not knowing who he was and say, hey, I'm Earl. Uh, I'm sorry if I offended you, man. I, and I totally threw Brian Moses under the bus. I'm like, Brian tells me to say all that wacky stuff. And he's <laughs> like, My man. yeah, I mean, uh, and he just looked at me and goes, uh, do you want to be the dad on my cartoon? And I'm like, uh who are you? He's like, Oh, I'm Tyler, the creator. And not knowing he's like the biggest rapper in the world. I'm like, great. I'm Earl, the comic. I became uh, the, the lead on his cartoon, uh, the jellies it's, and it hasn't been canceled yet, but it, it's, it's been two years. So it's not, it's not a good sign, but, uh, <laughs> but Bob's burgers came back after like a two year break. So it, it's, it's not out of the realm, but I'm the only white guy on the show. That showed me the bet. That was probably been my favorite gig I've ever gotten because from day one till right now, Tyler and his his crew, it's a very small crew. He just him and his best friend Lionel Wright, and they keep a very almost a skeleton crew of producers and writers. I've never been treated better in life by anyone. Like you hear please, you hear thank you. Uh, even if you now, my voice is so deep and unique, especially for a white person. I'm not asked to do a lot of range. It's just like, because I remember the first day, I'd never done a voiceover gig before in my life. And it's the voiceover is a hundred times harder a field than stand up. And I never thought I would say that. There's not thousands of voiceover gigs, uh, you know, like there are in stand up. Oh, it's beyond like, just to give you an idea, like, you know, and it's very categorized voiceovers. Like you have your high pitched actors, you have your female, uh, I guess you call it squeaky voice actors. Or actresses, uh, you know, I'm in the 
kind of a rare uh, category, the deep baritone villains. And because I'm already on a cartoon on Adult Swim, which people work for 20 years, they don't get on an Adult Swim cartoon. Um, I'm going up against celebrities. Like I go up, almost every gig I go up, on, I'm going up against, say, Rob Riggle. I'm going up against Billy Brown, who uh, people might not know the name Billy Brown, but if you've ever watched uh, Sons of Anarchy, the last couple seasons, he was the main bad guy. He was just really good looking black dude, very chiseled. You've got the the Don Johnson, uh, Miami Vice stubble. He's very distinct, but his voice is very deep. And uh, so I'm going up against those guys. So it, it's at a starting point where I'm most likely not going to get to get because they want, you know, it's it's very much the roast battle mindset of we need a celebrity. We need Billy Brown to be the few, the proud, the Marines guy, uh, which he is. Uh, we need Rob Riggle to be the bad guy voice in the new Batman movie. Uh, and if they are too busy, well, then maybe we'll go and look at Earl or hear Earl. Uh, so, but I love it, though. It, it's, you know, it, it's less BS in the world of voiceovers. You know, it it's, doesn't boil down. And I'm, well, boils down a lot less as to who your manager is and it's like if they're looking for a particular voice like tyler the creator was whatever i give him he wanted like and because my and it's and that part is luck because you know my mom was from cartersville georgia and she had this incredible southern twang that most people thought she was black on the phone and then my dad yeah, it was a weird, like, it was very, it almost sounded like she was trying to do a parody of someone from the South, but it was really like, y'all better come back because Earl not home right now. That was her voice. Uh, and then my dad, from, just from Chicago, but had a booming, almost opera type voice. So I, genetic wise, I lucked out, you know, in the voiceover world, I would say in one month, there's maybe five gigs for a deep voice baritone bad guy all five i'm going to go be, be going up against those guys i mentioned and many more i'm sure patrick warburton and uh james earl jones obviously the the, the king of deep voice you know darth vader he i'm sure he's still uh audition or he probably doesn't even audition they just give it to him uh, <laughs> yeah you're darth vader you, i would want darth vader on the jellies over my voice uh so but i love it though it, it's it you know because i got a little bummed out to be frank before we start uh, about the podcast, uh, I'm pretty thick skinned and, uh, you know, I've been rejected for thousands of gigs and literally uh, stand up and voiceovers. But how I'm treated in the voiceover world has really re restored my faith and, OK, I'm good enough to do this. And, you know, and I still get rejected for probably 90 percent of the gigs uh, I go for in voiceovers. But uh, most people get rejected 100 percent. So it's. Like just be happy for that ten percent you get. It's it's been really fun, but I do owe uh, that part of my career to roast battle because if uh, that wasn't a show, Tyler the Creator's not up there that night. It was it's very lucky. Now on to the inappropriate old podcast. Yeah, I mean I I love my podcast it, because it's I'm in control of it. I think I have uh, three hundred and seventeen episodes. I mean, I think Rogan's at like something like 1,600, so it, it's not a lot in the grand scheme of, you know, comparing myself to him, but uh, it, it's more than most, you know, because most people quit after, I'd say, 100 episodes because they're like, all right, I'm not making any money on this. So I'll just go back to whatever I was doing before. I just love that out of all the guests I've had, I've only had one bad interview. 
And even in that case, I wanted them on my couch. This is before the pandemic when I would, I would do it in, in my home. Uh, so I, I loved getting to meet some of my favorite singers. You know, the singer from Rat has come on twice, which is completely mind-blowing to me. Uh, you know, most people know him as the guy in the Geico commercial now, but like, you know, Rat was a big part of my childhood and uh, I've had, uh, you know, famous comics on, uh, you know, Brody Stevens and and started doing a uh, dual podcast with my friend Chad Sumach. It's, it's kind of like a, uh, I guess you call it a swap cast where he has a podcast called Sit Down Zumach. I do Inappropriate Earl and we do a, uh, we call it the bad guys. So we try and reach out to villains from the 80s movies nice. uh, that we like i mean it's hard because it's um you know if these guys are alive uh, you know we're, <laughs> yeah well i kind of forget you know the, the 80s were 40 years ago like 1980 like when i before i started doing it with chad i remember uh i was watching tv one night and uh superman 2 came on and that's one of my favorite that's before, you know, they did CGI and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, Gene Hackman was Lex Luthor. And I thought, you know, I probably can't get Gene Hackman. But there was that trio of bad guys. Zod, who was the leader. And he's a very famous actor. So I thought, he probably wouldn't come on. The girl probably wouldn't come on. But the big guy who doesn't talk... I wonder if he would come on. That would be a fun interview to have the guy who's most famous, his most famous role. He didn't say one word. So I look his name up and his name's Jack O'Halloran. And it turns out he was a very famous heavyweight boxer. Uh, and I reached out to him and, you know, not forgetting he was probably 40 in 1980. This is, I think, around 2014. I reached out to him. So he's 70, 75. And I get a hold of him. He's on Twitter. I didn't even know if it was him. And he's like, can we do a Zoom? And I'm like, oh, I don't do it that way. And he's like, can we do a Skype? I'm like, I don't do it that way either. And he's like, how about a phone call? I'm like, no, you got to come to my house. And I'm sure for a 75-year-old actor, the last thing he wants to do is come to some dude's house. He probably thinks it's just an idiot fan. I talked him into coming. He shows up at my door and he's still a huge guy. Like he's probably, <laughs> uh, you know, probably still six five and he's built like for a, a mid seventies. And uh, it was probably one of the best interviews I've ever done. He's, he was on my cast for like three hours. I couldn't get him to leave. Um, <laughs> Cause I really didn't have a lot of knowledge of his boxing career where he fought, uh, I think George Foreman. And uh, so he was legit and uh, he got into all these conspiracy theories and, uh, so, you know, I just reach out to people. Most say, you know, it's like the voiceover percentage. Most say no, uh, you know, and, and and some say yes. And uh, like next week, me and Chad are interviewing uh, Brian E. Thompson, the bad guy from Cobra. So, wow, uh, you know, if you are older than, say, 35, the movie Cobra is pretty epic. I love it. And it's a well, it's a great story. Not, I don't want to turn this into the podcast about Cobra, but um, if uh, most people don't realize that uh, Cobra was the original uh, screenplay to Beverly Hills Cop, and uh, they gave it to Stallone. Stallone was going to be, uh, I guess, Axel Foley. He was like, this is too funny. Like, I, I'm not a comic. Let's make it more violent. They, there's a three-hour and 20-minute cut of Cobra that it got an X rating. And I've reached out. You'd think I would ask my industry friends to get me on Conan, maybe uh, The Tonight Show. 
you know, I've got a lot of friends in the industry who probably would help me. And I've asked all of them not to get me on a TV show, not <laughs> to talk to Netflix about a special, but I want to find that three hour and 20 minute cut of Cobra. Um, so, uh, and the bad guy in it, if, if you see the finished cut of Cobra, it's a very strange movie because you can clearly tell that they cut a lot of his parts out because uh, you know cobra the theater version that we all saw is uh, i think like 86 minutes he's in it for maybe 10 minutes and it's like this doesn't make sense uh and apparently stallone and the recut was like we're gonna make this my story we'll put the bad guy in the minimum amount hoping that he has some good stories and you know i always try and find guests that, i don't know about you but like to me the best guests are ones who say talk a lot like me but they're also slightly bitter <laughs> and they want to talk about it. they want to talk about it like you know i guess you'd say like me and roast Bell, it's a great interview because i get into details uh i love so I, it I hope, yeah i mean it's like i said I, every podcast host is, is different like some like to be the star of the podcast and like to me at least in the early days and and, and well into inappropriate or all I figure who's ever listening already knows my story. I don't need to talk a lot. So I try and make the guest like you talk. I'll ask you. I always try and set up guests like you did with me with Roast Battle. I'll um, try and set up a guest with a, a one sentence question, knowing that that'll set them up for a, hopefully a 15 minute answer. So uh, so I'm looking forward to that interview next week. And then, you know, I'll still have comics on. And, uh, you know, of course, now with the pandemic, it, it has you it's harder to to get people to want to do a zoom interview let alone come to your house and do it so uh you know but i i just like doing in person better for me in my interviewing style i like to as silly as this sounds i like to look in someone's eyes when they're in the same room no i get it i I, it makes perfect sense because there's a different connection you know and you know when things started to pick up for me was during the pandemic but Zoom has worked out well, and but again, I look forward to doing more in-person interviews, getting out to Southern California soon. You have amazing work, my friend, and I appreciate your your honesty with everything. And we'll put links to the show notes with your podcast, and we'll also link uh, the jellies and all the other projects. And if you haven't seen I'm Dying Up Here, go to Showtime. It's literally one of the uh, easiest uh, channels to find. Um, Earl, I appreciate your time and hanging out with me this afternoon. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> I know. It's like, you're making me laugh. It's like when people would tell me they couldn't find Showtime. It's like, bro, it's on every basic cable package on planet Earth. It's only like five bucks. I'm, I don't work for Showtime. I mean, I guess technically I do, but like, it's not that hard. But I will say... Uh, with the jellies, which is my most current thing, because I get this a lot too. Well, I don't get Adult Swim. I'm like, well, it's on the Cartoon Network. Uh, I don't get the Cartoon Network. It's like everybody gets those channels. It's also on HBO Max now. So don't tell me you can't find HBO on your local cable provider's uh, system. But thank you, uh, dude. I I really when I got your message uh, for a request, I'm like, God, oh, this sounds like a a scam for like podcasts follows and I'm like oh no this is an actual real person so uh thank you uh I, I love doing this so and I hope that uh, if younger comics listen that I I'm not bitter younger comics I'm just honest there's a big difference that brings today's show to a close goodly do 
thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.